right, fellas. We are here today to talk about your journey. You are coming at us from Transistor.fm. Justin, can you give us a bit of background on yourself? I started podcasting in 2012, I think, and was definitely into um, the idea of radio. Some of these are transistor radios, which is on, which is on on brand. I grew up in Alberta, which is like kind of conservative country here in Canada, and so there's lots of talk radio stations, and had lots of good memories of driving around in the truck with my dad listening to talk radio. Even like I remember being a kid, and like once I got my license and I was driving by myself, I would like turn off the radio and pretend I was on the show, like. The, the host would say something and then I'd pretend I was like talking back and forth. So I, the idea of broadcasting um, via audio was always really appealing to me. And when I moved to this town, actually, it's a pretty small town and I wanted to stay connected with the broader tech community. One of the first things I did was start a podcast called Product People, which was just interviewing product people from all over the world. And... um that experience, I think, basically almost everything, every good thing that's happened in my career since then can be traced back to starting that podcast. Amazing. Because the relationships I built, the connections I made, the things I learned, and then just the act of building an audience and putting something out there that people connect with um, was really significant. So yeah, podcasting for me has been a big part of my professional life, starting uh, around 2012. I, I think that's kind of how things work a lot of times. It's why it's hard to reverse engineer uh, any entrepreneurial success because often people will tell one part of the story, but there's usually quite a few layers. And um, for me personally, like if I didn't have that layer of like really being into talk radio, I don't know if I would have been as interested in podcasting. Um, if I didn't have the layers, I mean, this is when like those early computer experiences are foundational. Like those without that experience, making things on computers starting in the 80s and 90s, um, kind of becoming teenagers right when the web was coming out. So like the Mosaic web browser, I think, came out in 93. I mean, that was when I was 13 years old. Um, so all of those layers kind of build up and eventually culminate in you know, maybe a, a business bet that play that pays off or. Yeah. I mean, I, I've probably been coding since I was like 11 or something. Um, so 30 something years later, like in another life, I, I probably would have been some sort of physical engineer, like electrical engineer or something. But the, the feedback loop from coding is so tight. It's like hard to it's hard to give up that like instant hit of uh, of success that you can get. Um, so I sort of glommed onto that pretty early, I guess. Um, but yeah, so I I went to school not for um, <clears throat> not for software development at all. I was I like got enamored with um, finance and like watched Wall Street and thought that stuff was all super cool. So I went to school for that, <laughs> and I'm like hearing from my friends as they're coming back from like their first jobs and they're talking about how they're just like cold calling people 12 hours a day and like trying to trying to hawk like whatever <laughs> whatever they're supposed to hawk I'm like that sounds terrible 
<laughs> what you're doing. So I like wound up sort of switching gears and, and, um, and realizing that software was like, it, it wasn't like clear that was a career path at the time. Um, it, it was like just becoming something that seemed like you could do professionally. Jason's done a lot of cool other stuff in software as well. He, he had a, a, he was part of a video game company for a while. I, I ran a little video game studio with, uh, with a couple friends and we built, uh, we built a massively multiplayer, like 2d crafting game. Um, they got pretty popular. Like we had, we, I think, but all said and done, we had one and a half million registered users. Yeah. I think this is the, one of the cool things about running a small company is that we've been able to bring in all these people we've met, like, um, throughout our lives and like to have someone like Jason's caliber on the team. And, and we're so small. Uh, I think Jason described at one time, you're like, the nice thing about transistor is like we're all killers. Like we just like all show up and, and we're room. really like good at what we do. We're passionate about what we do. And uh there's very little cruft. It's just like a lean team trying to build amazing product, um, really customer focused, really customer service focused, but on at the same time trying to build a really good life for ourselves and um, you know, having good good time off having uh slowing down during the holidays uh-huh. um, being more relaxed like we have no kpis right now really that's oh, what we were maybe. talking about before uh we're just we can just trust everybody on the team to kind of show up every day and do great work and uh yeah it's been really fun you can see that in the product like a lot of people often comment like how simple things are and how um like how uncluttered everything is. And like a lot of that is because we just have to ruthlessly like pare down what we're building because of the time available. And those, those constraints are, I think lead to a good product. You're being very deliberate and you're being okay with it being that deliberate and not feeling like I need to add these 20 new features because that's what people are asking for. John and I, we developed this, this, this uh, strategy of, wait and see so like something would come up and it'd be like we got to do this or the company's gonna fail and then we started realizing we could just wait and see what happened and often um you know it ended up not being a big deal or it ended up manifesting itself evolving in a way in a different direction than we had originally thought Uh and so and then you can also see what everyone else has done the reception you know, from everyone else. Uh, I, in a lot of ways, AI transcription, which is what we've just added, was that kind of feature. We've been talking about it for years. For a long um, time, yeah. And it, it just kind of always bubbled around. Should we be thinking about this? You know, Jason was doing experiments on his own with different models. And um, eventually it kind of bubbles up and then it reaches this high water mark and it's like, okay, now it feels like we should act. Like now is the time. Part of it is that technology kind of caught up with our needs. Um, like the the availability of a lot of this stuff, at least as far as I can tell, is pretty new um, <laughs> at, at, at scale and at a cost that is um, viable uh, that we can do it or we can price it at a, at, 
at a level that our customers find palatable. So we're we're plugging in um, DeepGram transcriptions now, obviously, which is why we're chatting. Um, and the the speed and the quality of it has been just phenomenal. Like we've been we've been really really pleased with what we're getting out. Um, we've got a handful of users beta testing it now, um, transcribing their podcasts, and it's I I think it's going swimmingly. Give us a bit of background on the tool. I mean, simply, Transistor is podcast hosting uh, the same way that you need web hosting for a website, you need podcast hosting for your podcast. We help people uh, host their podcast. They upload their content to us, and then we distribute it via RSS uh, to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, all of the different players. And then we also offer uh, additional services on top. So podcast analytics, you get a dashboard with how each episode is performing. Uh, we have po- built-in podcast websites for your show so people can go to your your domain name and uh, see all your episodes and subscribe from there and get show notes. Uh, we <laughs> have dynamic ad insertion, which is another feature that Jason built once he came on. So you can dynamically insert an announcement to your podcast listeners. Uh, you can tell them about an event. You can sell actually actual ad space, but that's essentially the business. It's a it's a content management system for podcasters. They they create their episodes in Transistor, they publish them and uh, manage their kind of publishing workflow through us. And then we do the hosting. I do love this idea of the slow movement. And it makes me realize, yeah, I, I will occasionally watch podcasts, but for the most part, it's just yep. listening. And it is one of those mediums where you're generally doing something else when you are listening and you just get to be a fly on the wall. A great conversation, ideally. So like social media is really designed to addict people, right? It's They want your eyeballs for as long as you can. So as long as you can keep people scrolling, uh, accelerate their heart rate, give, you know, outrage them or whatever, um, make them want to comment back or you know, reply back or whatever, that that system was not appealing to us. And what was appealing about podcasting is it's old tech. It's slow tech. Um, RSS has been around for a long time. It's very simple. Um, it's distributed. It's, it's Yeah, it's, it's right in the name. That's right. Uh, and there was something about the simplicity and this idea of slow media and slow tech, meaning mm-hmm. when you're listening to a podcast, first of all, uh, it doesn't demand your eyeballs, right? It doesn't demand your complete attention. It's not designed really to addict you. It's like you you listen to a podcast when you're commuting or when you're walking the dog or when you're working out. You can't also respond right away. You can't have a knee-jerk reaction. Like if somebody says something that upsets me on a show... I have to like dr- finish driving home, park the car, say hello to my family, you know, and then get find a way to contact them, write them an email, and then say what I think. There's just so much more time to have a considered reaction. It slows everything down. Yeah. And from a creator perspective, it's it's different as well because you're not beholden to the large platforms. So there's lots of stories of people who, you know, at one point the algorithm 
was rewarding them and all of a sudden the algorithm took it away and then all of a sudden they have no audience. Whereas podcasting, it's slower to build an audience. But it you build a deep connection with the people who are listening. And once you have those folks there, as long as you have your RSS feed and your RSS feed, you can bring it wherever you want. You know, if you decide to leave Transistor, you can forward your RSS feed somewhere else and Listen. it just forwards the traffic right through. As long as you've got your RSS feed, you've got this connection with your audience. And I heard uh, a couple of our customers, I, I listened to a lot of our customers' podcasts and they were talking about, you know, what would happen if Twitter went away? You know, uh, what happened if, you know, Twitter just crumbles? And they said, man, well, we'd still have our podcast. There's less people who listen to our podcast and follow us on Twitter, but these are the real ones. You know, these are the real fans. And if everything else crumbled, if Twitter went away, if Facebook went away, or if Facebook took away our reach or whatever, we'd still have this connection and these people who wake up every week looking for a show from us and, you know, listen and uh, have built this kind of ongoing, long relationship with us. So one thing that I wanted to ask, and Jason, this is probably more directed towards you, but Justin, if you have any antidotes too that you want to throw in there, how have you overcome challenges that you faced while building with AI? The foundation of all of it for podcasts is um, to have the information in some sort of format that you can use to do other things. So transcription was clearly like the first thing that we need to nail before we can add any other features around that. So that's sort of where we're starting. Um, there are a lot of other nice things we can do with that or things that we think could be useful. I think we do a better job than a lot of places supporting chapters for podcasts. So you can um, display at what time stamp you're talking about a certain thing in show notes and um, in YouTube, if you publish there, just like ways you can skip around in an episode and see what's going on. Yeah. Like often technology is like a solution in search of a problem, right? And a lot of AI stuff can feel like that. It's like, this is just like, you're just trying to cram this solution and 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 create a problem. Yep. So the 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 biggest challenge I think is to go is this something that people want? Is this something that podcasters want as creators? Is this something that podcast listeners want? What job does this do for them in their lives? And and what is the kind of initial version of that that we could make a bet on and then see what happens? The hard part is actually the user experience. It's the UI, right? Speaker identification, especially, is like a huge challenge. It's like uh, on the engineering side, like how do we identify that this is the person speaking? And then on the UX side, like how can somebody identify who this is and type in their name and then maybe change it and then, you know, uh, label this section as this person, but not this section? That takes some thinking and some creativity. One of my concerns with AI is that because the underlying tech is so powerful, it's just easy to just like slap it in there without thinking about the user experience. How are people going to be using this? And, um, you know, how can we make it easy? How can we make it easy or even better magical? Like it just feels magical. So 
I mean, it would be amazing. Uh, Jason's also done a lot of work with in our show notes around, um, uh, like you can you can insert a uh, uh, a tag in your show notes that says chapters, and if your podcast editor has put in chapters in your MP3, we'll show those in your show notes. Here's the timestamp. And when you experience that, that feels magical. It's like whoa, uh, half my show notes are already written. You know, um, and so you know, a next step for this would be something like, hey, we've already identified all the chapters in this episode for you. It's just right here. It's, we've done the work for you. Um, we're looking for those kinds of experiences, I think. But the, it's a, the, the challenging, like the engineering side is challenging because you want to you make it right and you want to, you know, have the, the, the uh, accuracy as high as you can. And, you know, all that, the backend stuff has to be right. And then what you put on top is just as, even more important in some ways, like how can you make this easy for people, intuitive for people, so that it's not adding more work. And my experience sometimes with with uh, AI is like sometimes it's more work at the end of the day, um, especially lately, like Chad GPT four or whatever. It feels like it's talking back to me a lot. Like it's like <laughs> I'm like, hey, can you do this for me? It's like I'm sorry, Dave, I can't do that for you. It's like yeah, I can't. And then people say you have to like just demand that it does it. Like, don't be polite. And then it'll, you ask it three times and then it'll do what, you know, that's not a good experience. What we want is a good experience. So on the business case of transcription, one thing that I often think about is how you're either going to need to charge more to the end user, pass on that cost to the end user, or you're going to have to let that eat into your margin. How do you think about that? This is the other advantage of wait and see. So we're like, let's wait and see what happens. And, you know, since then we've had a number of competitors release AI transcription um, features. And, you know, some of them have more features on top. Some of them have less. And then there's been a bunch of third-party apps that have come out as well. And uh, often in a market, you're going to be anchored to whatever your competitors are doing. So if your competitors are offering it for free, it's going to be harder to charge. But if your competitors are charging for it, then it's going to be easier. And then you also have some sort of pricing anchor. And um, yeah, I think it's still a bet. We're going to see how it goes. And I mean, we've, we've debated this. We've debated pricing on this a lot. Like that's probably more more than any other part of of this feature yeah, has been. Yeah, that's talking pricing. about challenges. That is a challenge because these this it, pricing is also product design. So when we were launching Transistor, I had this intuition as a podcaster that the normal thing at the time was you had to pay an extra monthly fee for every podcast you started. So if you were on Libsyn, you were paying them nineteen dollars a month for one podcast. If you wanted to start another podcast you had to pay another monthly fee. And then, and at the time, I'd done a bunch of podcasting experiments, so I had like four or five podcast feeds. And I said, John, I think we could charge a little bit more for Transistor, start at $19 a month, but allow people to host unlimited podcasts. So in a Transistor account, you can start as many podcasts as you want. You can invite people to those podcasts to collaborate with you. So like our podcast editor, he, he logs into Transistor, and he only sees the shows that he's been invited to. Um, that that pricing decision 
ended up being a product decision because some people were looking for that feature. It became a feature of the product. And um, early on, like that was a lot of our growth was we were really one of the only people doing that. And so anyone that wanted to start more than one show, or if you were an agency or a business with more than one show, or even if you just had a bunch of friends that you podcasted with and you're all individually paying for different shows, you could just bring it all home to Transistor and pay one price. So pricing decisions are crucial that you can't like, you can't make that decision. And that decision, like we, we did multiple episodes of our podcast. Uh, we have a podcast called Build Your SaaS where we like wrestle with a lot of these things. And we did multiple episodes on pricing because it was like, this is a big decision. And uh, we got to make sure we're thinking about everything. Like, what are the repercussions of multiple podcasts per account? What are the repercussions? How, what do we price based on? What's our value metric? Um, yeah. How does that, how does that interface with our costs? Bandwidth, hosting, you know, all that other stuff. So there, pricing is not, um, pricing is a difficult. It's difficult to do it well. And it also has this tremendous opportunity because it it can become a real uh, feature of your pro of your product that people are seeking. Um, and if you get the pricing part right, you can attract you know all sorts of people that you might not normally have attracted. But there's a tension tension in all these ideas. You got your price, and then you got your costs. You got your margins. You've got are people even wanting that? Like pricing is it a whole science and art unto itself um so it, this this one we've we we just did our team retreat and it, we were just like debating it a lot this one's this one's different for us because it's i think it's the first thing that that has like directly measurable variable costs everything else that we've built it might need more system resources it might need uh more storage but those things sort of it doesn't scale linearly with the usage, but this is like if we if we do ten thousand hours of transcription, we have to pay for ten thousand hours of transcription. So um, it's a lot. It's a lot different way uh, to have to think about it than we have in the past. Guys, I've taken up a ton of your time. I really appreciate you coming on here. Uh, I think we can cut it now. And for anybody that is, I'm, I'm just podcast, getting fired up now, man. Let's do another two hours. <laughs> you you cut Justin exactly. after he's had three coffees right in the morning. <laughs> Ready for more pricing uh, conversation and AI and all the fun stuff. I really appreciate you all being part of the DeepGram startup community. I want to just publicly say that. And it is super cool to have you in there and I look forward to all the incredible stuff that we can do together. Thanks, man. Yeah, this is great. Us too. Thanks.